Well, welcome. I'm glad you're here this morning. My name's Taylor Reevely. Uh, before I began leading our church's work to plant a new church in Oregon City, I served here as one of the uh, music leaders for a long time. And so it will, I think, forever be a chief priority for me to lead us to sing. As we consider uh, this Advent, good news of great joy, it occurred to me that one of the ways that joy is captured and expressed is when the people of God sing. But before I asked why we sing when we gather at church, I thought I should ask a preliminary question. Why do we sing? Why do we sing in unison with other groups of people? Maybe you can't think of uh, any other occasion in which you sing with other people. Maybe you need to be reminded that you probably were at a birthday party not long ago in which you sang in unison with the party around the person of honor. Or maybe recently you watched a World Cup match and just underneath the commentator's voice is this roarous singing of the crowds as they watch and cheer their team. Maybe you recently went to a concert and when uh, the musicians stepped away from their instrument and everyone's phone flashlights are out, you could hear 10,000 voices singing in unison the song. Why is that? Why do we sing? There are, sure, neurological, psychological reasons or for explaining what singing does to your brain and why people respond to music the way that they do, but why does a group of people seem to spontaneously burst into song together in the first place? I'm going to suggest that humans are drawn into song when they are in the presence of someone or something who is to be honored, esteemed, and delighted in. What I mean by that is this. You don't spontaneously burst into singing happy birthday when you're on a walk through the park. You sing that song in the presence of the guest of honor. You don't sing along with the crowds while you are watching the World Cup match in your basement alone. You sing when you are together in the presence of the team and the fans. And we don't sing the songs of the band who's playing in Seattle when we are at the concert in Portland. That's weird. We sing the songs of the band that is with us. Now, if if presence is one essential ingredient, that the, the person of honor, esteem, and delight is present, then delight in that person, delight in that thing is the other. Now, we're inclined to sing happy birthday to people we delight in. Maybe uh, your family has an Uncle Scrooge who just kind of stood in the back of the party and just mouthed the words because they weren't really excited to be there. When you go to a a soccer match, there are opposing teams and there are opposing choirs for those teams. And you sing the song of the team you delight in. You never sing the opponent's song. And finally, if you don't delight in the band, well then you're probably not singing the songs anyways because you're probably not at their concert in the first place. Now, I give those examples because I, I want to, in a sense, normalize the singing of God's people. 
This is not that strange, but also draw out its uniqueness as a place where there is a person of honor, esteem, and delight in our midst whom we delight in, and so we sing. For this reason, the people of God sing, delighting in the God who is with them. When God is present, the people of God rejoice and sing. And this morning I'll make the argument that God is in fact present today among the people of God, which is good news of great joy, and that is why they sing. Well, to demonstrate this reality from the Scriptures, I want to take you on a tour through your Bible as we unfold the whole story of the singing people who respond in delight to God. Now, you might call this a biblical theology. It's different than just reading a verse or a couple of verses and drawing a conclusion from them. We're going to unfold the whole story, and so we're going to start at the beginning, the first song that was sung in Exodus chapter 15. So would you please turn in your Bibles with me there. Do your best. We're mostly working from left to right in your Bibles. The the verses will also be on the screen to help you along. I want to read the entirety of this song in Exodus 15, beginning in verse 1. When Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up, the floods stood up in a heap, the deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil, my desire shall have its fill of them, I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. And you blew with your wind, the sea covered them, they sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard. They tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab, and all the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. 
They are still as a stone till your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. Now, as we open the, the, the Scriptures to Exodus 15, we see we've entered the first movement of the story of the singing people of God, and it could be said as such, when God is present with His people in the sea, the people of God rejoice and sing. What do you notice about this song? aside from it not having rhyme or meter and aside from me not singing it. But perhaps you should notice that Moses and the people sing it. This is not a solo. The people of God are not spectators. They are participants in what God has done. Second, you should notice it doesn't need a bunch of context given. Will you open the Bible and read and it told the story. It stood on its own. We could have read Exodus 14, where what happens in the song happened. Instead, we read the song. Third, you should notice that it begins with declarations about who God is, but it moves to prayers to the God who is. Perhaps more notably than those, you should notice that God appeared to His people as they crossed the Red Sea. And they delighted in Him and responded in singing. The miraculous events of chapter 14 are translated into song in chapter 15. There's a, a direct correlation between God's action and the delight and song of His people. I want you to imagine then what if God had not been present with His people at the sea? Would the people have sung? Would their joy have swelled? No, they'd be dead. Pharaoh's army would have killed them or they'd have drowned. God meets His people to save them and they delight in Him with singing. How could they not forget this triumph? Surely they would desire the presence of the Lord forever. Now imagine instead that the people, God had showed up and the people had not delighted in His presence. They've crossed the Red Sea, they've seen amazing things unseen before, and they get across and, and on they march without without a pause to celebrate the mystery and the miracle of what has just taken place. Their delight in the presence of God was no completed as they sang. Well, this is the first song. Moses, the author, has other songs, most notably perhaps the song in Deuteronomy 31, which is not sung, it is spoken. 
And the explicit of the song in Deuteronomy 31 is to teach the people. The song is a didactic um, device. It is meant to teach them and remind them that God is present. It's meant that the people would sing these songs in their homes in response to who God is and what He has done in their midst. But I want you to to see what happens next in the story. They cross the Red Sea, they sing their song. Turn with me to Psalm 106 to see what happens next in the story. And this is verse 12. They cross the Red Sea. It says, they believed His words, they sang His praise, but they soon forgot His works. They did not wait for His counsel but they had a wanton craving in the wilderness and put God to the test in the desert. He gave them what they asked, but sent a wasting disease among them. What happens next in the story? The people of God with great triumph sing on the far side of the Red Sea and they take the next step and they forget that God is with them and they forget what God has done. The deep delight that they experienced there, the satisfaction of the God who was with them was turned into a wanton craving in the wilderness that replaced God. Yes, in the story of the singing people, the the singing people now become the wandering people because they have forgotten their God and forgotten their song. Our personal stories perhaps mirror that reality too closely. We delighted in God, we sang a song, we prayed a prayer, and then a wanton craving in the wilderness drew our hearts away for Him, and we forgot He was even with us. Well, the singing people become the wandering people and they wander then in the desert until an entire generation passes away. Throughout these years of wandering, God had not forgotten His people. He was with them in a tent. Everywhere the people wandered, they picked up the tent where God dwelt with them, but they had forgotten God. In their wandering, there is no song. And this becomes a pattern for the people You could, a refrain, so to speak. They wander their way into the promised land, and there they rededicate themselves to the Lord. Then they have another wanton craving for the gods of their neighbors, and then they rededicate themselves to the Lord, and then they have another wanton craving for a king like their neighbors, and God gives them a king. The first king is named Saul, and he did not do well to lead the people back to delighting in the presence of God. The second king, however, David, did. And it's now in David's reign that we once again hear a song of gladness in the presence of God. But this time, we don't hear the voice of the entire assembly. We hear a few small voices of the professionals, the priests. And so here we enter the second movement of the story of the singing people. It is this. When God is present with His people behind the curtain, the priests sing. 
Well, turn back in your Bibles from Psalm 106 to 1 Chronicles chapter 6. When David was king, God dwelt with his people in the tabernacle as he had done since the days of Moses. In the tabernacle resided the Ark of the Covenant. It was the, the manifestation of God's covenant faithful presence. The Ark was set apart from the rest of the tabernacle by a curtain, a veil. Nobody was allowed in except for those, the priests from the tribe of Levi who had cleansed themselves, who entered to represent the people before God. The people needed representation because as the line in the children's book goes, because of your sin, you cannot come in. David, in orienting the people toward God again, recognizing his presence among them, established the service of singers in the tabernacle. This is 1 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 31. These are the men whom David put in charge of the service of song in the house of the Lord after the ark rested there. They ministered with song before the tabernacle of the tent of meeting until Solomon, spoiler, built the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, and they performed their service according to their order. These are the men who served and their sons. Count them with me. You have to skim along here in your Bible. Haman the singer, who in verse 38, it says he was a son of Levi. And his brother Asaph, in verse 43, it says he was a son of Levi. And Ethan, in verse 47, who was a son of Levi. Three singers. In this movement, the people did not sing, the professionals sang. And they represented the people in singing before the presence of the Lord. Uh, there's an instance later in First Chronicles where the ark had been captured and taken away during a Philistine invasion. And after 20 years, it was being brought back. And it describes this procession as they return the ark to the temple or to the tabernacle. It says, David and all Israel celebrated before God with all their might. And when they arrived, this is what is written in First Chronicles 16, verse 7. Then on that day, David first appointed that thanksgiving be sung to the Lord by Asaph and his brothers. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. In verse 36, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Then all the people said, amen, and praise the Lord. From this movement in the story, we import that little line, and all God's people said, amen. The singers are singing, the people are listening, their hearts are drawn into worship, but in this case, not their voices, and so they say, amen. Yes, God, that song, let it be, it is true. Well, King David and the singers got busy writing songs for this tabernacle service. The Psalms were written primarily by David and Asaph. You may be familiar with them as the church's songbook, but they were not Israel's songbook in the same way. The Psalms are full of songs of delight in the presence of God and are written with the instruction that they are to the choir master. 
They are not written to all the people. Well, following David's life, his son Solomon builds a temple. You can think of it as a permanent tabernacle. No longer will God dwell behind the curtain in the tent of the wanderers, now instead behind the curtain in the walls of the temple. And as with the tabernacle, the priests offered the same representative role for the people in their service. In 2 Chronicles chapter 5, there is this commencement ceremony when the ark is brought to the temple that Solomon built. In verse 12, it says this, when all the Levitical singers, Asaph, Haman, and Jeduthun, their sons and kinsmen, so the number of singers in Israel has expanded, arrayed in fine linen with cymbals, harps, and lyres, stood east of the altar with 120 priests who were trumpeters, and it was the duty of the trumpeters and the singers to make themselves heard in unison in praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. And when the song was raised, the trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments in praise to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. The house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. Pay attention to what happens here. The temple is built, the ark is brought to its place, and at the commencement ceremony, God shows up, and His presence is so overwhelming that the priests could not even stand in their service. While they are singing, delighting in the goodness of God, God appears and literally floors the room. Now, you'd be right to expect and hope that this is perhaps the final episode of this story because the presence of God is so overwhelmingly experienced, but it continues. King Solomon's son was an evil king, and under his watch, the kingdom divided. And over the next generations, the people of God moved farther and farther away from God until the day the temple is destroyed and the people of God are shuttled away to live in exile under their new king, the king of Babylon. After 70 years in exile, away from the presence of God, they are returned to Israel and Nehemiah rebuilds the city of Jerusalem and the second temple. One of the first things to be reinstated in the second temple was the station of the priests. And one of the first things to be done was to sing. In Nehemiah chapter 12, beginning in verse 42, it says this. And the singers sang with Jezrahiah as their leader, and they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. And they performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did the singers and the gatekeepers, according to the command of David and his son Solomon. For long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, there were directors of the singers, and there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. 
So perhaps here, in the second temple, after a return from exile, things seem like they have finally resolved. The joy abounds. You can hear it for miles because the people of God are in His presence again. Things are back to how they used to be. But these people are back to how they used to be and have always been. And their hearts, their wanton cravings divert them again from the solitary satisfying source of delight, God. And now through the writing of the prophets like Amos, the song of the singers is silenced. In Amos chapter 5, in verse 23, it says, and God speaks, Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps I will not listen. And in Amos 8, the Lord said to me, the end has come upon my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The songs of the temple shall become wailings in that day, declares the Lord God. I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. Their rejection of God, their wanton cravings have caused God to silence their songs. They go through the motions, but their hearts are far from Him. They sing without delight. And so He doesn't even want their song. But even that is not the final word about the singing of God's people in the Old Testament. No, a promise stood even through God's righteous anger at His people's hypocrisy. A promise we rehearse around this time of year, every year. In Isaiah 7, it says, Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call His name Emmanuel. In Isaiah 9, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. In Isaiah 11, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Then, in light of all of that, in Isaiah 12, it says this, And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deeds among the peoples, proclaim that His name is exalted, sing praises to the Lord that He has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. So the people of God were awaiting a day when they collectively would finally be able and invited to sing. They awaited the day spoken of in Zechariah chapter 2 when they would sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. But that day was yet far off. 
Because for 400 years, the amount of time between the last word of the Old Testament and the first word of the New Testament, God was distant and the song was silent. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And with that announcement, we enter the third movement of the story of the singing people, which is this, when God is present in the silence, Mary sings. And throughout the life of Emmanuel, the singing crescendos. When Mary hears that God, the God who had been silent for centuries, announced that he himself would come through the birth of her son, she breaks into what is understood to be a song of delight known as Mary's Magnificat. In verse 46 of Luke 1, it reads, Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And before you know it, angels break through the night sky visiting some shepherds saying, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Then suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now someone should tell you that despite what every carol suggests, the angels are speaking, they're not singing, but that's I don't want to rain on your Christmas, so we keep going. The, the shepherds hear the angel voices, and they go and see this baby. And returning to their posts, it says that they glorify and praise God for all they had seen and heard as it had been told to them. And what is unfolding in the story here is the fulfillment of Isaiah 12. There, making known his deeds among the peoples, proclaiming that his name is exalted, and the song crescendos as it does in Isaiah 12, 5, and all will now begin to sing praises to the Lord. For he has done gloriously, let this be made known in all the earth, shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great 
in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. The next song that we hear about is laid in Jesus' life as he approaches the cross to die for his people in Matthew chapter 26. For the first time, the followers of Jesus in his presence gather to sing a hymn. And from that moment on, the followers of Jesus have been singing since. Singing in prison, singing in catacombs, singing in the Colosseum, singing in their gatherings. And here's the point. The good news of great joy that we celebrate at Christmas is not merely that a unique baby was born. but that God has come to dwell with his people. The God who speaks life into existence has come to give his own life. The same God who carried his people through the waters of the Red Sea has come to carry his people through death into life. The God who met his people in the wilderness has come to meet with us. The God who thundered from the mountain has come to his people in gentleness. The God who the priests sang before has come to make all of us a kingdom of priests because the God who dwelt behind the curtain has come to remove the curtain. The God before whom all the trees of the forest sing for joy has come that his people might sing for joy before him. The significance of the incarnation in the story of the people of God who sing cannot be overstated. Because it is when God is present with his people, his people delight and sing. And God is present. So will you sing? The story isn't quite over. All who trust that Jesus died and rose for them, who declare Jesus is Lord, are a part of what we call the church. And the church is global in the sense that it is made up of people from every nation, tribe, language, and tongue, from every generation, past, present, and future. But it is local in the sense that we, who belong to that global church, are right here, right now. And letters were written to these local churches that emerged toward the end of the New Testament. And they were commanded to sing. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19. It says, Be filled with the Holy Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The church sings when it gathers, it isn't optional. Ephesians 5 is describing this as a norm of what the people of God do. Now, the, the nature of what they're doing here as they sing to one another is important to note. I want you to think of a line that we sing here often. In Christ alone, my hope is found. Who are you singing when you sing, church? Who are you singing that line to? Surely Christ loves to hear his people declare that their hope will only be found in Him. But not as much as He loves to know that their hearts truly will only find their hope in Him. 
And so as we sing these words, we are doing what this says and addressing one another. As I sing, in Christ alone, my hope is found. And Josh sings, in Christ alone, my hope is found. And Madison sings, in Christ alone, my hope is found. We are encouraging each other to hold on to the reality that God is present in our midst. The second uh, writing about singing to the church is in Colossians chapter 3, and it says this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now, this is even like presence of God language. The word of Christ will dwell in you richly as you sing. Now, I don't really care if you like all of the songs that we sing here at New Life Church, but what I want you to notice is that if you run them through this lens of the Word of Christ dwelling richly in you, you'll notice later on in the week that it's not just a pretty song that is dwelling in you richly, but the Word of Christ is dwelling in you because of what we sing when we gather. Church, God is in your midst. God is with you. Rejoice and sing. Now, where is all of this headed? Where is all of this pointing? The whole story of God is pointing to the final pages of the book. Where life was now lived again as it was in the beginning. And the people of God dwell in the very presence of God. And what do they do? They sing. And this is the fourth movement of the story of the singing people. When God is physically present in the midst of His people, their eternal delight produces their eternal song. Now, there are, there are other songs mentioned in this last book of the New Testament, the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. But as we began with the first song in Exodus 15, I think we should end with the last song in Revelation 15. In Exodus 15, we remember the song of Moses, and in Revelation 15, the last song, verse 3, it says, and they sing the song of Moses. The servant of God, the song of the Lamb saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. They sing the song of Moses as though Finally, the story of the singing people has resolved in the very presence of God whom they delight in. This is, for the people of God, the perfect ending, singing with unrestrained voices in the presence of their God, Savior, and King. Here, here, there is eternal delight, as in the words of Revelation 21, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. 
Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Church, this is why we sing. We sing with an, we sing with an eye to the day when we will sing like never before. We reach for that in our songs every week. The day when we will see Him and know Him, when our delight will be full in Him, and the song from the people of God will shake the halls of heaven because God is in her midst. Now, why would we spend a Sunday morning in Christmas season tracing this theme through the whole Bible. What are we aiming at? I want the incarnation, the reality that God has come to dwell among His people to sink in. That we today experience the presence of God unlike the people who dance at the edge of the Red Sea because God has delivered them. He has delivered us. I want us to delight in God's presence such that we sing like never before. I want us to recognize that God is present and active in our midst in a much clearer and more significant way than He was present and active in the midst of His people, Israel. I want us to recognize that we don't, we don't just have an obligation to sing. It's not just your duty when you get together to now start singing but you have a right and a privilege to sing because you're in the presence of God. Now, tracing this story throughout the Bible in review, these four movements are that when God is present with His people in the sea, the people of God rejoice and sing. When God is present with His people behind the curtain, the priests sing. When God is present in the silence, Mary sings in the singing crescendos through the life of Emmanuel. And the final movement, when God is physically present in the midst of His people, their eternal delight produces their eternal song. 